If you have your Bible with you, and I hope that you do, would you open it with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4? 2 Timothy chapter 4. As I have the opportunity to fill in for Pastor Art from time to time, I just take the next section from the last section I was teaching. Uh, So last time we were together, uh, we we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it's probably been a little while, so by way of review, uh, the book of Timothy, uh, both 1st and 2nd, were written by the Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle to the Gentiles who would uh, bring the gospel everywhere he went and until he caused a riot or a mass repentance, one of the two. Uh, typically, the riot was the way he knew he was time, time to move on to the next city. Uh, during his time and travel of planting churches and preaching the gospel, uh, he picked up a young man named Timothy. And Timothy had the same heart uh, for God and for God's people, uh, which Paul says was unique in regard to all of the other believers that Paul had met. Only Timothy shared his heart for God's people and for uh, service unto the Lord. Uh, And though Timothy was uh, different than Paul in a variety of ways, Paul would uh, pour into Timothy uh, through two letters. Uh, The first letter uh, in 1 Timothy is instructional on how the church is to be organized and uh, the offices and functions that uh, are meaningful to the body of Christ as they gather together in in a local place. 2 Timothy, it goes beyond the outward uh, functionality of, you know, what to do and how to do it and the different offices, and it gets to the heart of the pastor. It was written towards the end of Paul's life, uh, this letter, and and in fact, today we'll be reading uh, the portion of this letter where Paul says uh, he's already being poured out. His departure is at hand. Uh, He sees himself as on the verge of getting to go to heaven, um, but he wants to instill into Timothy, who is no longer a young man, but still a young pastor in comparison. He wants to pour into Timothy just a little bit more of the character that is required uh, to be a faithful and godly pastor. And so that is the theme, and the the tone is with uh, the last written communication that Paul will probably have uh, to anyone, uh, and it's to Timothy. And so we get a little bit of an insight into uh, what pastors talk about, how pastors talk to other pastors uh, in First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus as well. But in Timothy, we will uh, see that um, a, a phrase I like to use uh, when I'm talking with other pastors sometimes and exhorting them in the same way they would exhort me or in the same way that I would exhort any other believer or that any other believer would need to be exhorted. Uh, the phrase I like to use is, uh, pastors are people too. Uh, and what I mean by that is that I, I'm no different in my walk with the Lord than you are. I have a different function within the body of Christ. But uh, what you need as a believer is also what your pastor needs as a believer. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, uh, a verse that's been on many pastors' minds uh, this last couple of years with the lockdowns and everything else. Uh, it says in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. One of the advantages that we have in gathering together is we get to exhort one another, to stir one another up to, to love and good works. That's one of the purposes and privileges we have in gathering together uh, as a church family. 
as believers with one another, um, we come, according to Scripture, not out of a consideration of our own needs, but out of a consideration of the needs of one another. And it's coming to stir up one another. And we'll see today that uh, in the same way that we all need that, uh, the pastor is not exempt from that. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? We're going to read uh, the first eight verses of chapter four. So 2 Timothy chapter four, we'll begin in verse one. If you need a Bible, we have ushers who have Bibles and would like to put them in your hands as we read God's word together. Uh, so if you need a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. I've got a few ushers here that would like to get you uh, a Bible just so you can follow along with us as I read it. Second Timothy chapter four, beginning in verse one. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not, only, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, uh, which is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. Lord, it, it shows us where we are, and it shows us where we need to go. Lord, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern between the thoughts and the intents of our own heart. Lord, we pray that this morning, as we get into your word, your word would get into us. Lord, we pray that you would, even now, soften our hearts and sharpen our minds. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning's message uh, title uh, is Pastor... Preach the word. Now, typically, on a Sunday morning, your pastor is exhorting you and exhorting you and then exhorting you and then exhorting you. And that's normally the role. Um, but in our text this morning, uh, specifically, uh, it's the pastor who is being charged. So we're going to flip the script a little bit uh, this morning, and I'm going to have all of you exhort me. All right? So uh, that's we're just we're going to switch hats here for a minute, but don't worry. I know you haven't prepared your message for this morning. I'm going to give you the words to say, and then you can repeat them back to me so that I will be duly exhorted. All right? So uh, our first point of our three points are all going to be this. Actually, all three points are the same point, <laughs> and it's the title. So the first, the first point is, pastor, preach the word. Now, will you say that to me? Say, pastor. pastor. 
preach the word. It's good for your pastor to hear pastor preach the word. And I know that because of what we read in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Notice how he starts off Paul writing to Timothy again. He says, I charge you before God, and then you skip down to verse 2, preach the word. The charge that he's giving here, uh, it, the, the word that's used there is it's a word that's sometimes translated testify in the same way that you would give a testimony in a courtroom and that testimony would have implications towards somebody's future, whether positive or negative. I saw him, he did it. <laughs> or I confess it was me, right? There's going to be a solemn testimony that's giving, but he's giving him a solemn charge in the same way that a, 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 a judge would give a charge to a bailiff in a court. He's giving him a, a charge, but it's a charge from a pastor to a pastor. It's what we talked about earlier of the need for each one of us to be exhorted. Paul is exhorting Timothy, and, and he's not telling him something new. <laughs> Timothy's not reading this thinking, oh, I've never heard that before. <laughs> he's probably thinking, Paul, I know. <laughs> You've told me a bazillion times already. You don't need to tell me again. And Paul is saying, no, you need to hear this. I'm charging you, and not only am I charging you using this word of testify that conjures up this picture of a courtroom, but he's giving him this charge, not before his congregation to hold him accountable, uh, not before the other pastors and elders to hold him accountable, but he says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And where is God in this courtroom? Well, he's, he's the one who's sitting as judge as to whether or not this charge will be faithfully fulfilled. Again, Paul is, in his mind, on his way home. He will not be able to check in on Timothy. He will not be able to see whether or not Timothy is faithful to fulfill his ministry. And so he, he commits this charge before the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. And the charge is straightforward. It is to preach. Uh, that word means to publish or proclaim openly something which has been done. Uh, normally, we would call that news. Like you flip on the nightly news, <laughs> and they declare to you the things that have been done. <laughs> That's typically how it would be used in the culture of their day uh, if there was some war that was going on, and one side won that side would be sending out heralds or preachers or newscasters. <laughs> and they would declare, hey, we've won the battle. Or, hey, there's a new king in town. <laughs> Your king lost the battle. And they would declare what has been done, what has already been done, news that, uh, of something that has been accomplished already. And so what is the preacher to preach? It's very straightforward. Right? The pastor is supposed to preach the word. Uh, not every pastor who opens the Bible preaches the word. Some preach stories or whatever's going on in culture of the day. Whatever happens to be on their mind or in their heart, 
But Paul's exhortation to Timothy is to preach the word because the word tells us what's in God's mind and in God's heart. The word is to be preached, and he gives a reason for it. Did you notice there in verse 1, he says, I charge you therefore. Whenever you're reading in your Bible and you see a therefore, you should see what it's there for. That's how it goes. Just go back, typically, and see what that therefore is there. When he's saying, I charge you therefore to preach the word, what did he just write? I know for us, it's a whole chapter ago, but there were no chapters when Paul was writing this. They were just the words that were right before this charge. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture, that would be the word, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the reason why we're supposed to preach the word. We're supposed to preach the word because it's God's word. This is God's word. Isn't that amazing that we have the word of God? I remember one of my coworkers who's not a believer asking me, how do you know that this is the word of God? And I just, I had a, a simple thought of an argument for how I can communicate that is, I, I told my friend, do you believe that I'm able to communicate myself clearly to you if I want to? And he's like, yes. Do you believe that if the God of the Bible exists, he is greater than I am? And he's like, obviously. <laughs> Let's put those thoughts together. If God is greater than I am, and I am able to communicate myself clearly to you if I want to, is not God able, if he wants to, to communicate himself clearly to you? And I believe that this word shows the evidence that it is his word through fulfilled prophecy through just the accurate description of my own heart. No other word describes me more accurately. No other word has stood the test of time in prophesying what would be before it was, <laughs> and then it comes to pass. This is God's word. This is not my opinion. And it is his word that he has given to us. And it is both profitable and purposeful. Notice what he said it was profitable for. I know we covered this the last time, but I don't even remember the last time I, I taught, let alone I, I don't expect you to remember every word <laughs> then either. The word is profitable for doctrine. That just means the things that are right, what we should believe about reality of, you know, think this is true, this is false, this is good, this is bad, this is better, this is worse. God's word has an opinion on those things. It's good for reproof. That's, you know, when somebody's doing something wrong or if you're doing something wrong, sometimes the word will reprove you. I remember reading through scripture and I had been not telling the truth and then I, you know, I was very young at the time and I was reading the Ten Commandments for the first time and I was like, oh, I should not lie. Huh. <laughs> I was reproved. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> the Bible has God's wisdom on what we need reproved in our life. For correction, not only does it tell us what's wrong, it tells us how to get right. It is helpful to know when you're doing something wrong, but if you have no clue on how to get right, that's not helpful. <laughs> like, I know this isn't the right way to do it. I have no idea how to do it any other way. God's word tells us not only 
what is wrong, but how to get right. Because God's word corrects us, corrects us. And it is profitable also for instruction in righteousness. That is how to stay right before God. Uh, the commentator um, Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary, describes these words that are, are big words for me, at least. I'm not sure where they're at for you, of doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness. He says, it's what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. And that's my level. So <laughs> that's what God's word is good for. But that, that's good for all of life. That's good for every day of life. And so it is, it is profitable for all of these things, but it's also purposeful. It's purposeful in my life and it's purposeful in your life. When God's word is applied to our lives, it has a work that is purposeful. Uh, in verse 17, it says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has a plan for each one of our lives in the same way that God has a very specific and unique plan for Timothy as a pastor. The calling on his life comes with the extra instructions to preach the word. But it's the word that's going to equip him to preach the word. <laughs> Thoroughly equip him to preach the word. It's the word and only the word that completes a believer and his ability to serve in the way that God has called them. In the same way that the Spirit empowers us, and we need God's help to do that, God's Word equips us to do the things that God has called us to do, which is not only good for us, but good for everybody within the radius of our obedience and or disobedience. God's call in my life to be a godly husband doesn't just affect me if I'm walking in that or not. That affects my, my wife. God's call in my life to be a, a father who trains his children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord doesn't just affect my life. God's call in my life as a pastor to preach the word, my obedience to that doesn't just affect me. Our obedience is often the conduit through which God brings blessings to those around us. God's word is good because it tells us what is good. It tells us how to do what is good. It thoroughly equips us to do good works that God has created us for. So the first point again is, pastor, preach the word. It's good for your pastor to hear. The second point, as promised, is pastor, preach the word. <laughs> It's good for Christians to say. So I want you to exhort me once again. Say, Pastor, preach the word. It's not just good for me to hear, and it is good for me to hear. It's good for you to say. Notice why in verses 3 through 5, Paul again writing concerning uh, the body of Christ at large, he says, for the time will come when they do not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves false teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It's 
good for you, whether you call this church home or you're just visiting or you're just tuning in this one time, uh, wherever you call your church home, as often as you see your pastor, tell him to preach the word. It's good for your pastor to hear, but it's also good for you to say because what you need is the word preached to you. But there's a time coming, and I think there are times of this coming where the word is not what the people want preached. They want something else. <laughs> they want somebody to say that their sin is okay and that God is all right with it. That's not God's word. That's man's opinion. That's the, the dreams we come up with in our own mind. My first sub-point in this is, in air quotes, they don't like the word. The they, that it mentions many times, are professed Christians. These aren't people outside of the church. These are people inside of the church. And they don't like the word. They don't want the word. They will not endure sound doctrine. And that's the preaching of the word. And so Paul is telling Timothy, preach the word. It's kind of a limited time opportunity. <laughs> you don't know when they will not endure sound doctrine anymore. And they will have, instead of a desire for sound doctrine, they will have other desires that Paul describes as itching ears. Uh, and these kind of itching ears, they're never satisfied in the scratching of them. Uh, one commentator was saying that they would go and just listen and to anybody say anything about anything, <laughs> just so they can hear a new thought about something. In the same way that when Paul went to Athens, uh, there was a, a place called Mars Hill where they would go and share a new thought about something. It was like where they would do the TED Talks of their day. They didn't have YouTube. They couldn't binge watch things. But if Itching Ears had a subs subscription plan, <laughs> you'd be able to watch it nonstop for ears to be itched nonstop. But it, nobody's ever satisfied. Nobody ever comes to the knowledge of anything. And in fact, there, there's a, a consequence for their seeking and heaping up these false teachers. Because in addition to them seeking false teachers, it says they will heap up for themselves teachers, um, people who will tell them what they want to hear. There's gonna, Paul says there's gonna be a heap of them, which in my mind I just think of a giant, you know, thing of hay, and then I replace all the hay with false teachers. And they're just all kind of in there trying to get everybody's attention. <laughs> no, listen to me, no, listen to me. You know, I'll do this, I'll do that, and I'll promise you this, and I'll promise you that, and whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. So they're heaping them up so that uh, two things will happen. Turning away their ears from the truth is the choice they make. It's in the active voice in the, the way that the grammar works. It's a, it's a choice they're making for themselves. They're doing it for themselves, to themselves. And in turning their ears away from the truth, that was the conscious choice that they made and not letting God's word be the rule and guide of their life and their heart. Paul says 
the final end of that is that, that they will be turned aside to fables. The way that that's phrased, the, the language there in the original is with um, the passive voice. That means somebody else is doing it for you. In the same way that I tie my children's shoes, their shoes are tied, but that's in the passive. <laughs> I tie them for them. They don't, that's not a choice they make. That's not something they're doing to themselves. It's being done to them. They may have come to me with their shoes in their hand, but then I put the shoes on them. And in the same way, those who willfully turn their ears away from the truth allow themselves to, in turn, be turned aside to fables. It's not that a man who doesn't believe that there isn't a God, doesn't believe in God's word, and that's it. There, there's no vacuum there. It's that they're willing to believe anything, everything, because there is no standard. The standard is not God's word. It's some other standard. And the temptation for pastors, this is why your pastor needs that exhortation, pastor preach the word. The, the temptation for, the, for pastors is to, to go to that heap, <laughs> to go itch ears so they can have more people and have their own prides stroked, if you would. Um, there's a, a story in the Old Testament that I, I love about a prophet named Micaiah. And he's, he's kind of a, a kick in the pants, in, in my opinion. I, I know a guy named Micaiah, and he's kind of of the same nature, if you would. Um, but this prophet was a prophet uh, of Israel, and the king at the time, Jehoshaphat, was going to go to war, and he was with the other king, and they're like, hey, is there a prophet in, here, in town that will, will tell us whether or not we should go to war and how it will turn out? You know, that's why you would want a prophet in the day. And he had all of these false prophets already there prophesying, saying, you know, go, and you're going to have victory. And they had these iron horn, you know, Viking hats on saying how they're going to be victorious and, you know, ex exercise their might. And the other king was like, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh? Isn't there a prophet of, of God here? And, <laughs> and Jehoshaphat says, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> how would you like that testimony in the Bible? <laughs> I'm like, yes, they, they lived in 2000. The, you know, the president of the United States hated them, all right? <laughs> so let it be written. Um, he says, I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. Partly because he wasn't walking with the Lord. <laughs> he left that part out of the story. Um, and so they went and got Micaiah. Uh, the other, you know, say they went, the, the messengers got him, and they're like, the messengers were kind of coaching him along the way, like, hey, all the other prophets, they said, you know, he'll prosper, he'll be victorious. Just say what they said. Just say what they said. <laughs> and uh, Micaiah responds and says, now listen to the, uh, they, yeah, so this is what they said to Micaiah. Now listen to the words of the prophets with one accord, encourage the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. He was a prophet who preached the word. <laughs> and the king came and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war? And Micaiah, and I'm, I'm sure he had, well, you'll see. Um, and Micaiah said, go and prosper, and they shall 
be delivered into your hands. And I'm not sure how he said it, but I know how he said it must have been assigned to the king that he didn't really mean it because the king responded to him. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw Israel scattered in the mountains as sheep having no shepherd. The shepherd of, it, of, of the people was the king. <laughs> Micaiah was told to be a prosperity teacher, <laughs> if you would. Go and prosper. To, to just speak a word of encouragement. Tell the king what he wants to hear. Everybody else is saying it. You should say that too. The king concluded the conversation with the other king by saying, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? <laughs> he was still not willing to listen to the Lord, even after he heard from the man of the Lord who was speaking the word of the Lord. And he was one of the few prophets who was actually a prophet of God, who was speaking in the name of God, but he wasn't the only one speaking in the name of God. There were false prophets all throughout Israel's history because itching ears aren't unique to the time of Paul and Timothy. In the time of Jeremiah, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 23, if you're taking notes and you want to read more later on on this topic, read Jeremiah chapter 23. I was very tempted just to read the whole chapter to you, uh, but we are on a time constraint, so... <laughs> Uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, I'm going to give you uh, the highlights of the underlinings of the condensed version that I, I got. So here it is. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16, Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah writes, Thus says the Lord, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart and not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to, those, and to everyone who walks according to the dictates of their own hearts, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord. And tell them, and cause my people to err their, uh, by their lies and their recklessness. God's against these heaped up false teachers. In the same way he was against the false prophets of Jeremiah's day, he's saying, I did not send them. They're not speaking of the contents of my heart or the thoughts of my mind. They're, they're coming to you with their own thoughts, and their own hearts are speaking. They're being reckless. They're lying. And what they are saying has not changed. The lies that they told then are the lies they told during the time of Paul and Timothy are the lies they tell now. I want you to hear it again so you can recognize it when you hear it. They say you will have peace to those who despise the Lord. To those who walk according to the dictates of their own hearts, just whatever you want to do, they say to them, no evil shall come upon you. That's not according to God's word. <laughs> That's not God's standard. They will be turned aside to those lies. That God does have no standards <laughs> and he has no desire to sanctify you. But that's not what the word shows. 
Paul, in contrasting those people, speaks to Timothy and says, even when they don't want it, <laughs> you fulfill your ministry. Notice there in verse 5, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul often prayed and asked others to pray for him. I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, the only time Paul asked for people to pray for him is in regard to him preaching the word. In uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, Paul says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying for us, that God would open us a door for the word to the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. That last phrase, to make it manifest, he just says, to make it clear, to make it plain. The, the purpose of the pastor preaching the word is not to get fancy. You won't have to worry, that with, worry about that with me. I can't get fancy. <laughs> I don't understand fancy. <laughs> so to make it plain is to make it easy for me to understand, and then I, I share that with you. But the goal of the pastor should not to try to make simple things complex, but to make it easy to understand. My dad helped me out one time in a uh, fourth through sixth grade class that I was teaching at the time here at this church um, after I had filled in for Pastor Art on a Wednesday night and I had sent my dad the teaching. And when my dad was in the class with me, he's like, wow, you teach the kids just like you teach the adults. I was like, no, dad. I teach the adults just like I teach the kids. That's <laughs> just where I'm at. <laughs> and Paul prayed that he would proclaim the word of God plainly. That would be clear, easy to understand. Later in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, and also for me, as a, his prayer request, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul, in, in giving this prayer request, if you know anything about Paul's life, it seems like the most ridiculous prayer request ever. Paul is the guy who would preach until there was a riot. And then when the riot was going, he would be like, I want to go talk to them too. Like, are you sure boldness is the prayer request you need and maybe not discernment of when not to go into a riot? <laughs> that wasn't Paul's default mode. His default mode was, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'd rather do something else. And really, that's the default mode of all of our hearts apart from the Lord. We all, and even your pastor, need to be exhorted to fulfill the ministry which God has given us. And from one pastor to another pastor, Paul tells Timothy, fulfill your ministry. This is not new news to him. But it is needed news for him. <laughs> Last but not least, my last point is, pastor, preach the word, because the work will be rewarded. Notice how Paul 
finishes his thought here. The reason why Timothy must continue and must fulfill is because Paul is on his way out. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. You know, there's a few things that we can be certain of in life, and one of those things is death. Death is certain. Paul knew his death was approaching soon, but we all have a day, an appointment to keep, and we don't know when that day is. That day could be today. We don't know. Paul saw his life as being poured out and that right now was the time he was departing. I'm not sure if you've ever seen somebody off to an airport or, you know, they're going somewhere and you're, you'll come to the curb or they're just leaving your house or whatever it is, you're seeing them off, they're about to depart. That's, that's Paul's mind. He's like, I'm ready <laughs> and I'm about to go. He said, death is certain. Uh, and as he reflects back on his life, I'm sure he thought that it was short in comparison to how long he thought it was going to be. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, the, the older I get, the, the shorter life seems, which is kind of a backwards thing, right? It, my, my oldest son just turned six last month. And I was like, I remember when he was born. And it was just like yesterday. And he's already six. But to, uh, to quote my middle son, JJ, uh, when, uh, about six months ago or so when he was just turned four, uh, he, he started using this phrase that highlighted to me that time is perceived differently at different ages. And the older I get, the shorter time feels. But my, my son said, a long time ago, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, at the end of his life, I'm sure it felt like it had gone by so fast. And the opportunities to be obedient on all of the days that had passed, had passed. As certain as death is, life in between is short. And our opportunity to obey God is today. We're not promised tomorrow. Lastly, only what is done for Christ will last. Notice in verse 8, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Um, I originally had in my notes that this was Paul's personal eschatology, which are, it's a very big fancy word for end times. The study of end times is the study of eschatology, and personal eschatology is the study of your own end time. <laughs> Some people call that retirement plan. Paul had a retirement plan, but it wasn't for this life. He was currently sitting in prison waiting to be beheaded by the crazy <laughs> emperor of the day. <laughs> but th this was not his rest. This was not his home. This was not where his treasure was laid up. He was thinking of his judgment day in the same way that, again, God is brought in as judge. This is not the kind of judgment where you're going to get sentenced to jail uh, time. It's a judgment of reward, of uh, faithfulness to what God has called you. And God is very interested in rewarding faithfulness. Jesus, when he was talking about it, he said, not even a cup of cold water given in my name will go without its reward. The person didn't even drink it in, in what he was saying. <laughs> it was just given in his name. 
Like God's very interested in rewarding the faithfulness of his people. And Paul was confident and convinced that there would be a crown of righteousness from the Lord for him. But that confidence wasn't just for him or pastors only get this confidence, but for all those who love his appearing. My kids, when I come home, love my appearing, especially when they're walking in obedience. <laughs> right? Oh, yes, that I was vacuuming the whole time. <laughs> I was listening to mom the whole time. <laughs> yes, mom. They don't typically love my appearing <laughs> when they're doing something they know they shouldn't do. <laughs> and they're, they hide from my presence. <laughs> Those who, whose lives are living under the authority of God are the same ones whose lives are fulfilling the ministry that's been given to them, are the same lives that love the appearing of the one who will judge them. Not because they have been faithful, but because he was faithful in their life to fill them with his spirit, to thoroughly equip them for every good work, to allow them to repent as often as they need it. We're going to remember uh, the work that Jesus did this morning. I'm going to invite Noel back up to lead us in a song and the men to come forward to pass out the elements. Uh, what this is, if you're unfamiliar with what we're about to do, uh, it's called communion. It's a time where we remember the good work that God has done for us. In his obedience, we have been blessed. In his faithfulness, our unfaithfulness has been covered. Uh, but this is specifically for believers, for those who have a relationship with God. And so if, this, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you have not called on him to forgive you, if you're not walking in obedience or wanting to walk into obedience to him, this isn't for you. But if you are, this is for you, and this is going to be a reminder to us of God's faithfulness to us. And if you would pass out the offering, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word and its work that it's had this morning. Lord, we trust that you've spoken to each one. We pray that as we remember you this morning, uh, you would make us mindful of the good things you have done for us. We ask this in your name.